0: Ministry of Cornerstone Church you can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast I always try to be real honest with you sometimes Carly says I'm too honest today has been a crazy day already and my mind is in about a thousand different places right now Have you ever had that did your mind needed to be on one thing and yet? All of a sudden, there's all kinds of, whether it's distractions or whether it's just other things that come in there, that's been this morning. And so, um, uh, as we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, I say that not as an excuse, I hope I don't need an excuse this morning for preaching God's Word, but just that understanding that we can have the best of intentions, we can line up things, we can say, at 10 o'clock this begins, at 10, you know... Uh, 50 this is going to happen and uh, life has a way of showing us that it can be chaotic at times and that's been this morning so open your bibles again to luke chapter 1 The last couple of weeks we've been in this series our advent series on the lamb of god and how and uh, john the baptist had spoken out when he saw christ coming over the hill he said there's the lamb of god who comes to to save us from our sins and we've been looking in the last couple of weeks in the Old Testament to see that this was not a new familiarity, this term, the Lamb of God, that this is something that we've seen pictures in the Old Testament. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how in one way the Bible is like a story from Genesis to Revelation, that is all one story, and it's a true story. Last week, we looked at how the Bible is, it's kind of like a puzzle, and that There's a puzzle that is going to have a complete setting one day when you get all the pieces of the puzzle together, it's going to form one picture and how we're putting pieces of that puzzle together, even in the day that we live. The Old Testament did some of those and the New Testament did some of those. And Revelation tells us that there's pieces of the puzzle that are still coming about. And so we've looked at these different illustrations. We've looked at last week, Exodus 12, how Christ uh, is pictured in the Passover lamb and how he freed the Israelites from that captivity that they had been in for 430 years and how he set them free, how God had a plan. And so this morning, we look at all these pictures and we begin to to see that they're leading somewhere and eventually they're leading to what we celebrate at this time of year, the birth of Christ, when God would take on flesh and dwell among us, Emmanuel, and that we would have God right here. But there's a purpose for that. Sometimes I think then that we kind of get a, uh, the cute picture of the manger. And, and I don't really know how cute it was. I, I do think that it was quite rustic. I think it was qu- quite rough. I don't know that many of us would say, yes, I want to deliver in that setting. And yet that's what we see, that majestic God takes on flesh and doesn't do it in a sterile place, doesn't do it surrounded by other royalty, but does it in the humility, uh, the humbleness of the stable, so, as you open there, we begin to see that Luke has recorded the birth of Christ in a manger. He tells us how shepherds have come they're the first to, to really hear this story that the Christ has come, and they hear this miraculous story of the Savior. Luke tells us that there's a heavenly host of angels that begin to sing out in celebration of the birth of Christ. It is also in Luke that we kind of see the priest story. Most of the Christmas story as we're familiar with it starts in Luke chapter two, Luke chapter one is a very, very important chapter. It tells us how God told Mary and Joseph about what was about to happen. And I want you to know that even though that they knew that a Messiah was coming, they knew very much that God had made a promise and that the Redeemer one day would come, I don't think that Mary had any idea whatsoever before the angel Gabriel showed up in her life that she would be the mother of the Christ child. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Luke begins to tell us the story and the events and the details of what happened. I have no doubt that we cannot even begin to imagine the surprise and the wonder that came with that announcement. Look what happens in verse 28 and 29. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an angel. The Bible says that we sometimes entertain angels unaware. But I don't know that if uh, last night an angel just appeared in your bedroom and was kind of there, if you would just say that was a normal happening. This seems to be the only time or the the first time that that Mary has this encounter. It's not something that just happens to everybody all the time. And she 's fearful. her first reaction is one of fear. Now you would think, okay, if it 's a word from God, why, why would we be fearful? Well, again, put yourself in that situation you 're just kind of living your life, and it, you know all of a sudden, this angel shows up, and the angel says that God has a plan for you, that he has kind of an assignment that he wants you to to do verse twenty eight and twenty nine And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And so even though he's saying this, that God is with him, look at verse 29. But she was what? Greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now again, let's just put ourselves in that situation. Have you ever felt that God wanted something for you and from you? Not, not to, to earn your salvation, but just that he had a purpose for your life. But we often refer to that God has a plan for your life. And, and sometimes we, we have that like a cloud and just, you know, we can't even make out what we're supposed to be doing tomorrow. Other times God begins to get very specific. Perhaps that is uh, we meet somebody and we determine that maybe I'm going to marry this person. And we pray to see if that's God's will for our life. Maybe it's a job or a vocation. Maybe it's a ministry or something else. But there's times when we begin to see that God really does have a plan, and he begins to initiate this plan, communicate this plan to us. Well, that's what's happening here. And Mary's first reaction is one of being greatly troubled at the saying. The saying that she's the favored one or that God is with her. Why would we be troubled with that? I think it's, again, the messenger, partly the message, as she's trying to discern what great, uh, uh, greeting this might be, it's perfectly understandable that she's at first kind of taken aback. She's the favored one. Can you imagine an angel coming to you and say that you're the favored one? I mean, does Mary know that, does she live in anticipation of a Messiah? The Jewish people were waiting. And now there had been 400 years, very similar to the 400 years and 30 years that they were in captivity. Now there's been 400 years of silence where we really haven't had the prophets. We haven't had an update. God's been pretty silent for the most part. And yet all of his Old Testament prophecies and promises are still true. And now to think that she might be the one. Luke chapter 1 verse 30 and 31 And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Is that the first or the second time that God has reminded her that she has found favor with God? I think this is a good reassure to her at this point that, okay, uh, he said it once, and now he said it again. This is not a bad visit from God. This is actually a good visit from God because I found favor in God's sight. We begin to see there that uh, that she has this favor with God. And it says, In the sixth month, the angel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. I, I'm sorry. I went back up to 26. That's kind of where my mind is this morning. I'm, I'm just being real honest with you guys. Uh, I'm sorry that I went all the way back up there. Um, verse 30 and 31. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. When we hear that name Jesus, do you not instantly begin to think of Jesus Christ, the Messiah? I don't know that that was the first impression she got. Uh, Jesus was actually a pretty common name. But the other descriptions that the angel gives, she knows that this isn't just another son. This isn't just another baby. But more and more, she begins to see that she will be the mother of the Messiah. As she begins to color in that picture of who this baby is, look at the verses 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Pretty good outlook for this child. I mean, if somebody came up to you, and an angel comes up to you, and they said, okay, your child is going to be called great. He's going to be called with favor. He's be put on the throne and will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. This is a pretty affirming pronouncement that comes upon Mary about the son that she's about to have. I think most of us as parents, we, we like to hear good things about our children. We like to have when the neighbors come over and say, well, I don't know what he does at home, but man, he helped clean up for like three hours and you're going, my son, my daughter? And you kind of don't see that because all of a sudden, but aren't you glad to hear that? When you hear favorable things about your children, and that's what she hears, that this outlook for this child is favorable. And now it becomes really, really personal. But she's also bewildered. Verse 34 and 35 and Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now I want you to notice what happens. She's in shock. She's actually afraid. She's told not to be afraid. That actually, not once but twice, that she's in the favor of God. That she is the one that... Uh, The Jewish people have been waiting for forever, waiting for a Messiah to save them from their sins, even though they were concentrating more on saving them as a country and a nationality. And yet she hears these words, and her first reaction is to stand back. But as God begins to explain more and more, I want you to really focus on verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Would that characterize your attitude this morning? Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that majestic? But let's be honest. Isn't that scary? Okay, so God, you want to use me. You want to use me for something big. In this case, Uh, being the mother of the Christ child, this is as big as it gets. And, And the initial reaction is one, this is too big for me. This is overwhelming. God, why would you use me? This is a disruption to what I thought was going to be going on. All these things come to her mind. And yet, as God begins to complete the story and give her this challenge of faith, her response, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you think of any phrase or or any words that are more freeing and yet are more scary in our lives? I mean, do you really have a reckless abandon of your faith that truly that God send me? I, I mean, it's one of those things that that sounds very spiritual and it sounds really wonderful. That we would so trust God and His call upon our life that we really would say, "Behold, I am the, I'm your servant. Do to me according to Your word. Whatever Your plan is, I, I want to go that plan." I point that out because I, I want us to imagine what Mary was expecting—no pun intended—but when God tells her that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. I think that Mary would have easily thought of the power, the majesty, the royalty, the very things that we see described there, that he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will be establishing a kingdom that will have no end. This is what they were expecting from the Messiah. Royalty. Bigger than life. God on earth. And they knew the task before them, not, not really having an identity as a nation except from God and, and being kind of even dispersed at different times and captives at other times. And now a silence from God for 400 years. You know, They're, they're kind of losing a little bit of ten, sense of their direction and their identity. And they know that the Messiah will bring that back. And so all the hope is in this Messiah. Again, we would love to think that they're hoping in the Messiah was an answer for their sins. That was God's purpose. And yet, I don't know that they really fully identified that that was the Messiah. I think that they thought of the Messiah much more on a political level than they did on a spiritual level. But they were waiting. And they were anticipating. And the more that it began to sink in, I think that Mary would have had those thoughts in one way of being overwhelmed. How could I be the mother of the Christ child? At the same time, comforted by the words of Gabriel, that angel that came, it says, you have found favor with God. Isn't that the life of faith? Isn't the life of your faith? There's a part of it that just is scary because it's unknown. And yet, if God has a plan for your life this morning, is, is there a sense that God has shown favor to you? Is there a sense that if he says, okay, this is what I want you to do, Radley, this is what I want you to, to do. I want you to go in this direction. I want you to do this. Drew here's a plan that I have for your life. In one way, that's really scary because all of a sudden we see that, that there's maybe an alternative to the plans that we were setting out. And yet there's another part of it that says, okay, God must really care about me because he has a plan for my life do you see the friction of that the tension of those two things internally i believe that mary felt every bit of that In one way overwhelmed that she would be the mother of the christ child In the other way just kind of intimidated by that call of god upon her life this is probably reinforced When God described who this child would be, this sense of fright, this sense of, okay, I don't know, and and all the bewilderment. Uh, Go back and look at verse 32, 33 again. I I mean, wouldn't that kind of calm you a little bit? When he doesn't just say, okay, you're going to be the mother of the Christ child, but he describes the Christ child. Look at verse 32 and 33 again. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. David was the most famous king that Israel ever had. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In other words, the covenant that God had promised for centuries coming forth. And, and, and his kingdom will be, uh, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Question for you this morning. I have two questions for you. First question. Is this an accurate description of Christ. Verse 32-33. Is that an accurate description of the Messiah, of Christ, of Jesus? Okay, now turn to Isaiah 53. Centuries before Mary heard these words from God, God revealed to another man, the prophet Isaiah, God's man, who is there to, to to receive the message of God and, and put the message of God out to the people of Israel. And he heard about a coming Messiah. And God tells uh, Isaiah about this prophet that's going to come. And and look at the description that he gives to Isaiah. Isaiah 53, starting with verse 2. For he grew up and before him was like a young plant. And like a root out of the dry crown, he had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one with whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. A little bit different from the description that the angel gave (laughs) to Mary. So God gives this message to the prophet Isaiah, Saying, okay, here's who your Messiah is going to be. I mean, let's be honest. If we want to pick one of those two, do we want the rejected guy? The guy who's going to be the, the man of sorrows? Or, or do we want the one who's going to be sitting on the throne? Well, do we want royalty? Do we really? You know, let's just be honest with ourselves. I mean, Do you want your God to be more of a lamb? Or more of a king? When we read... Further in Isaiah, we see that it even actually gets darker. Look at verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. From a parent's perspective, what if you hear these words of your child that he will, she will be despised and rejected and pierced and crushed? But God's not done yet. He reveals more to Isaiah. Look at verse seven. And by the way, it doesn't get better. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and not a sheep, and, and, and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Question number two for you today. Is this an accurate description of the Messiah? Could, could they be more starkly different? I mean, almost a, a polarization of this side and then kind of, you know, this column over here. I mean, I don't know that these two descriptions have really anything in commonality. One is royalty and majesty and power and might, and the other one is the submission of a lamb being led to the shears. That means that seemingly that somebody else is in control and afflicted and rejected. I mean, which one do you want for your child? Your son will be great, son of the Most High, sitting on the throne, a kingdom that will never end. I mean, let's be honest here. We want, folks, would you not agree that even though we're not married, that we want the King Jesus? And he is. And he is. But God knew that we needed the Lamb Jesus. And he is. Look at Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, and when we see the Lord in the Old Testament in capital letters like that, it's meaning God the Father. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Here's the real beauty this morning. This King Jesus is willing to be the Lamb Jesus, and we ask ourselves, why? What's the motivation here? Because he's got three stripes on the shoulder already, and this will give him his wings, and this will give him the fourth, or or, or further, you know, advancement with the Father. No, he is. Filled with glory. He's the creator of all things. There is nothing that Christ accomplishes for himself in glory by becoming Lamb Jesus instead of King Jesus. There's one motivation. And we found it right there in verse 6. That we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone into his own way. And So God has a plan. He will send his son and he will lay upon him the iniquity of us all. King Jesus is who we want. Lamb Jesus is who we need, folks. And he is both. Please don't hear that I'm taken away from this majesty and this might, the glory of God upon Christ. When we see it, he is majesty. He's everything that the Bible says that he is. I mean, go back to verse four and five. Surely he bore what? He he bore our griefs. And he carried what? Our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. Do not think that, that there's this book out there, How to Be a Messiah. And here's ten things that you must do. And that somehow Jesus gets this task list of ten things so that he can work his way up from a really good man or a very special person to becoming the Messiah. He was the Messiah. He is Messiah, he will always be the Messiah. He is the King of Kings, he is the Lord of Lords. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Folks, this King becomes a Lamb, not so that he can go to the next level of advancement. He, this King becomes a Lamb for one reason. Because I was a sheep that went astray, and you were a sheep that went astray. That's the Christmas story, guys. That's the Christmas story. That King Jesus would lay down his life as Lamb Jesus for you. It's God's incredible love for us. Let me draw two applications out of this. First, if you've never trusted the work of Jesus... In your personal life, to 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 make you right and righteous before a holy God. Would you take these texts this morning? Would you take this message this morning? And when you ask God to help you see your need and His answer, open your eyes to yeah, I, I am one of those sheep that went astray, and and I, I as much as I want a King Jesus and I need that King Jesus, I, I really need a Lamb Jesus, so that I can be made right with a holy God. Would you be as bold to, to pray that if, if you know this morning, I, I, I'm not a Christian, or I don't think I'm a Christian, or I don't know if I'm a Christian? And I would love to speak with you after the service and answer any questions. I'd love to take you out to breakfast or lunch, or I'd love to spend time with you, whatever is convenient for you, because this is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. And it truly has eternal consequences. Last couple weeks, a lot of really famous people have passed and some of them may have known Christ and some of those may not have had a relationship with Christ. And and I was telling some of the elders and may have mentioned even to some of you that, you know, one of the familiar things that we see in social media when somebody passes a famous actor or artist or sports figure, rest in peace. Have you ever seen that? You know, in the blogs and you know, RIP. Rest in peace. And I know what people mean by that. I I really do. But do you understand, folks, this morning that there's only one way that we can rest in peace. There's not five ways. It's not, oh man, he was a great musician. Oh, he had a lot of home runs. There's only one way we can rest in peace when we leave this world. And that is that we would trust the work of this king who became Lamb. Second application this morning. If you're here this morning you say, I'm a Christian, I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian. I think I'm a Christian. And you've trust you place your trust in God's provision of this Lamb Jesus, and now He's entrusted you with eternal life. My question this morning, my my application of this text, maybe you have trusted Christ this morning as a Christian for your eternal life. Have you trusted him for your daily life? Because isn't that kind of what we see Mary do? Does Mary know in Luke chapter 1 the rest of the story? She knows parts of the story. She knows that there's a Messiah coming. Again, I think that they understand that it is a spiritual person. At the same time, they've really politicized the whole thing. And so they see Jesus as the rescuer of Israel, the nation, instead of Israel, the sinning nation. And so she's probably got mixed, you know, conceptions there of what's really going on. And and yet, what do we see in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1? Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's heavy, guys. That's not just saying, okay, I'm a Christian, and and I think I'm going to go to heaven one day, and I'm trusting Christ with eternal life because he paid for my sins, and And now I can go and be with God forevermore. That's great. We do not make less of that. But this morning, the application that I see there in Mary is that all of a sudden God gives her a part of the story, not the full story, not complete understanding. And yet what we see is this step of faith. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Just as I asked just a moment ago for those that, that may not know that they're Christian or you know that you've never trusted Christ in his work. Christian, are you trusting God in daily life? Not just for eternal life. Let's make much of that. And next week we will because we're going to finish this whole series about the lamb and we're going to see that this lamb is also the lion. It ends really well, folks, in Revelation. And we'll see that on Christmas morning. But Christian, believer, one who has placed their trust in your rightness with the Holy God, are you at that last place where Mary was? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's a really hard prayer. Let's just be honest. Is that a hard prayer? I give complete authority of my life. I I I give complete direction for my life. I give give complete calling upon my life. I, I give it to you. Behold, I give it to you. You work your story, God, now through me. What an amazing testimony. And I pray that we are challenged with that testimony in our own lives this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, this morning we see uh, two accurate descriptions of your son. Father, that he is in that lineage of David. And Father, he is going to rule over and does rule over all things. Father, that he is complete authority and that his kingdom will never, ever end. And Father, we agree this morning that that is an accurate description that Gabriel gave to Mary as she anticipated what the rest of her life would look like. What God was doing when he called her to be the mother of the Christ child. But Father, as we go centuries back, we see an entirely different picture, description of this Messiah. One that really doesn't have any sense of royalty, doesn't have any sense of sitting on a throne, but Father, just the opposite. That it would be a life that would be despised and rejected, wounded, pierced, but there was a purpose that you were working out so that all of us, Father, sheep who've gone astray, that we might have a way to to stand before you in righteousness, not a righteousness of our own, but one that was made by this Lamb of God. So, Father, today, will you help us to grasp that in our lives? Father, will you allow us today, if we're not a Christian, will you open our eyes, Father, through your Spirit to to show us our need for this Lamb? And, Father, for those this morning that said, yes, I am a Christian, and I've entrusted my eternal life with Jesus Christ and His Word. Father, would you move us to... To really say, okay, not just eternal life, but my daily life. That we would be as bold as Mary was to respond in faith and say, Behold, God, I'm yours. I'm here as your servant. Use me, Father, in your great plan. We love you, Father. We thank you. and Father, we end this worship time and this study time. We're singing this song, Father, that reflects the King coming to be a Lamb. We love you and thank you as we pray all this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online